Every day, we rise, challenging ourselves to work for what we believe in. At U.S. Border Patrol, protecting our borders is more than a job. It's a calling. Agents answer the call, working together to keep our country and communities safe. If you are ready for a new mission, join U.S. Border Patrol and go beyond. Learn more at cbp.gov careers. Live on July the 31st, 2016, from Coolidge, Arizona. And we have you coming in as octopus arms from all over the country. You are welcome. Glad to have you with us today. Uh, we're in the book of Acts. That's what this class is studying the book of Acts. If you miss one word, you might as well go home and hang yourself. Well, my point is not for you to do that, but the point is that people don't realize how important every verse is, and you have to have it all. We have to get it all put together. Can't can't hit it and miss it. It's, we've got to put it together. So uh, we we have to pay attention. We have to be consistent. That doesn't mean there won't be exceptions but don't make the exceptions the rule. I want I to go to a little, uh, just a little tiny rabbit trail in um, Acts chapter 6 and verse 4 and verse 6. There's a word that is used in both of these verses. Who can pick it out? Same word used in both verses, uh, approximately the same word. Prayer. All right, who said that? Did you say that? All right, it's prayer. Now, there are assumptions that we build into that. Who can begin to list for me the assumptions? When you hear and think about the word prayer, we better turn that up. Thank you. Uh, when you hear that word prayer, what are, some of the, what are some of the figures that your mind brings to your thought process? I know you don't agree with it, but you want something. Oh, well, whether I I like that. But that's right. That's usually an assumption that we make. Asking, pleading. Uh, Asking, pleading. um, Petitioning. Communication. The thing is that there's a bigger assumption here that we read this and we think God is involved. There is no, no clue that you can stretch the imagination to that this was had anything to do with God. Well, look at it. I'm going to get mean now. Look at it. What does it say in verse 4? But we will give ourselves continually to prayer. See, and what they heard... Now, remember, there are multiple words that are used. We're talking about the word that's used here for prayer, and that's the word prosuke. I'm picking on that word because it's the one that we use, and we use it, we, we might as well be Hindus as to how we use the word prayer. There is absolutely, there is not a clue that this was a prayer to God. And there's no, and, and to prayer, the prayer, meaning that these people had a ministry in that verse, to the ministry, the ministry of the word, commitment. This word, folks, you cannot argue the fact. It is just grammatically infallible. It has nothing to do with how we use the word, and we need to quit using the word improperly. It's like the word bless. Everybody, oh, bless you, bless. That doesn't have anything to do with the biblical connotation. What does the word bless mean? To speak well of. To speak well of. It has to do with what you say, not what you get. And some ask you for your blessing. And what, what are they expecting? Well, you know, what they're expecting and what I would hear that is, 
I don't want to speak well of you, but shape up so I can. I'm not going to speak well of somebody that... Oh, that might be a good opportunity to say that very thing. Yes, right. Because it's used a lot everywhere you go. Everywhere. And it's used improperly. There are two Greek, and we've been through this before, Kaifo, but you haven't been here. See, that's what happens. See, you're held responsible for what we did five years ago, even though you were someone else. <laughs> you better listen. You better listen. But there are two words in the Greek, and they're both translated equally in the English as the word blessed or blessed or blessing. Same one, you know, the multiple uh, renderings. But they're two different, totally different words, all translated with the same English word, and the typical English reader can't have a clue by reading the English. And I'll tell you, we ought to take these, we ought to take these translators out and, and hog whip them. You know what that means? That means you grab a pig by the tail and you swirl it around and every time it comes around to them, they get slapped in the face with the jaws of a hog. That's what we need to do with these translators. Is that a good picture? Uh, are all the all the Bibles and the scriptures that are in the Bible are there all all of them got half have that? Oh, they're all wrong. Every translation that I've found that's Every, everything, particularly the early, early versions before they became corrupted during the Dark Ages, you would find some exceptions. They put something else, another word in there. Yeah, they put the <clears throat> more closely to the right word. But the the first word that we look at is the word uh, is the word eulogy, that's translated bless, and that means what you say. Doesn't have anything to do with doing anything or giving anything, it has to do with what you said about somebody. That's why it says, bless God. Well, you can't give God a present. You know, he doesn't need a jackknife. He doesn't need an ice cream cone. Blessing doesn't have anything to do with what you give or what you receive. We bless God when we do what? When we speak well of God. When we speak well of God, that's blessed. That's the word eulogy. The other word that's translated exactly the same is the word makurios. It's almost the opposite. It means that you are content in any circumstance of life. No matter how, how terrible that circumstance is, you have a sereneness, and that's the word makurios. And that's used um, less than the other word eulogy. But those are two words, just by way of illustration today, that people need to get a hold. We need to quit using these terms in a Bible context without a Bible meaning. Now, the general public are going to always, you know, they sneeze and somebody says, bless you. Well, you know, that's, that doesn't mean anything. Those are empty words anyway. So if somebody, if, if a person is reading out of the Bible and... Uh, one or two words come up knowing that it's not pronounced right, like, for instance, you. You just, you know it's wrong, but the person that is uh, uh, reading it, he, 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 he don't uh, know, but you know. And so you have to give people... But I think what he's saying, and Kaipo, if I can answer for David briefly, unfortunately, Kaipo, those who believe the lie suffer the same fate as those who told it. No, but I, but uh, the person is reading it out of the Bible, and one one or two words are are uh, not uh, and and your book and his book is different, or my book. So those those who know the difference are very are because of what the rest of the Bible says are very gracious toward the one who doesn't know that because you can't know everything. 
Right. You just right. can't know everything. I, you know, I just, there is so much to learn. I'll never live long enough to learn half of what I should have known by the time I was 10. And that's why they haven't translated it properly yet. And that, yeah, that's, that's one reason. But when you're dealing with the bias, people are going to know there's a bias there, but gradually we learn what those biases are, and we, when we read those words like the word bless, we simply say the word as it is in the English, but we have to have a word of explanation. So the true description uh, of the words in the Bible is the Greek? Is the Greek. All of the all of the translations come from the Greek or the Aramaic, and the uh, and the Greek was a divinely inspired language. By you know, it was formulated scientifically by Alexander the Great. Yeah, uh, I mean, I don't want to throw you off on the subject, but um, <clears throat> a lot of the uh, apostles, if John seen these visions and uh, Daniel and all that, when they wrote it down. Did they wrote did they write that down in uh in Greek? In Koine Koine Greek. I thought they were Jewish. They were. Well, by that time though, see, that's why in our lesson today we're gonna learn that the Hellenistic Jews during the time of when we're in Jerusalem here, there were Hellenistic Jews. Those were the ones who had adapted to Alexander the Great or the Grecian language as well. By the time we get out of Jerusalem, more and more of the people had begun to speak Greek. And and Hebrew was being pushed aside. Yeah, it was a gradual process, and so you're going to get some overlay. But most of the people of the epistles were Gentile people. Would they know Hebrew? No. no. What about the church at Corinth? No. They were Gentile. They had Jewish people. The Jews were causing trouble. But what, what language do you suspect Corinthians is written in, being primarily Gentile? Greek. Greek, because that was the language of the day. And the Koine, Koine, Koine language, uh, Greek, is the old-fashioned, the old-time the original language formulated scientifically by Alexander the Great, it is flawless. It is just a marvelous language. I would like to say that the language was inspired itself because it is so accurate, so flawless. And our translators have translated with the intentional bias coming out of the Dark Ages, you know, starting in 533 A.D., all the way through 1793, that period of time in there known as the Middle Ages or the Dark Ages, all these translations came in, and they were all, they were, they were adding to the, the original language, their bias to perpetuate their religious views that had come out of Augustine, and had been further entrenched in the thinking of the people in the monasteries during the Dark Ages. That's a big, that's a big thing to think about. But well, thank you very much. Yeah, I can give you more if you want it, but that's enough for now. Okay. That's fine. Um, so when when somebody says something wrong to those who know, they don't get up in arms. They don't make a big issue out of it. If we have a time, we'll give you, you know, we'll correct one another. And we're going to find that out in the book of Acts, too, that uh, one, one, one of the guys was speaking, and uh, um, just a couple, three more chapters, mm-hmm. and, and then some of the folks came and pulled him aside and said, you know, we need to update your thinking. You know, it's not quite right. Well, isn't that the right way to go? Yeah, you you got to give people room. And during my my uh, younger days, uh, I used to see that happen in churches. You know, uh, they would uh, the minister would go up there and put them to the side. But you can't 
you can't explain it like that. But then again, it's kind of embarrassing too, because you're speaking to the. Well, that's why in the Bible example, they they brought the speaker aside privately, talked to them, because you're not there to cause a scene. Right. You don't want to you, embarrass. You Oh, I don't know if it was mispronounced uh, right or not, but he was just going, he was going through the, the scriptures. It kind of makes some people from the church understand what he was talking about. Well, and he may have been right, you know. Yeah, he may have been right. Anyway, anyway let's... Um, um, so, in, in verse 4... And they they devoted themselves continually to prayer. We think, oh, they were praying to God all this time. I mean, they just spent 24 hours a day. Continually is 24 hours a day. That's all the time ever from the time during breakfast they were praying. During having lunch they were praying. Supper they were praying. All the time in between they were praying. Hogwash. It didn't have anything to do with that. And that's why they're monks. <laughs> so David, this this really does well illustrate the true meaning of that word. Oh, it does. And, and and so I can understand why you're emphasizing it because it 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 makes a lot of sense. There, th- that was their charge. That was their charge to to put what they've had together so that we don't know who the audience was, do we? Here. Uh, Mike? Yeah, there's just one more thing on that uh, Koine Greek that I always found interesting. I don't think you mentioned it, is that after the Bible was written, it became a dead language, and so not only you've frozen the meanings of the words. An example of, of that in the English is cool. That used to mean temperature. Now cool means out of sight. Oh, wait a second. Out of sight means it's really nice, you know. So so we, we, we change the words that the language stays alive, but as a dead language, the translator's got a serious problem because it isn't spoken, so the kids can change the meaning of the word. Well, that's a good point, Mike, and I had not brought that out. That the Kuenei language, um, um, after the apostolic age, became a dead language. No longer spoken. That's the Koine language was no longer spoken. Greek was spoken, but the Koine language in which the Bible was written was not spoken. It became a dead language, and the words mean today what they meant then. And one of the proofs of how you do a translation work is that you you see it in the Greek, you translate it to English, you throw the Greek away, you come back to the English and you translate the English back to Greek. Then you revive the Greek that you threw away and compare it with the Greek that you made from the English translation, and if they don't match, you're wrong. That's why when we start playing with these words, we've got to make sure, see, that the cross-check of the language isn't just in, in defining the term as it is in the original uh, from an English perspective. But if we put it into English and then we take it from the English and translate it back to the Greek without the Greek in front of us, they had better be together. They had better match. match, Because if they don't match, there's something wrong. And you can't have four or five meanings to a word because you don't know which one to choose if you're going backwards again. That's how you check the accuracy of a language is the cross-check. And you see, most of our translations were made by committee. They had, they had teams of people, and then they voted, and the majority view is what determined the word that was used. Our, the New American Standard, most of the translations are made by committee uh, work, uh, choices and, and, uh, and election. Well, we can't mess with God's word with an election. You know, the majority are always going to be wrong. That's free. No extra charge for that. Through the studies of this class, Kaipo, understanding who was speaking, 
where they were when it was being spoken and who was being spoken to all helps define and focus what it is that's being said in that particular verse and the language used. So it all works together to help enlighten, and isn't that what we're trying to do? If we're not doing that, we're wasting our time here. Yeah, you, you, that's beautifully said. But, but, but God, God wants us to know. <laughs> why, why go to all the trouble? You know? Yeah. He wants us to know, and he's holding us accountable. He's holding preachers accountable. It says in James, you know, be not many teachers because you will face a more severe judgment. God holds you responsible. You better be right. And that's why I like these little classes and the people who, because everything we say here can be falsified. You know, it's open for debate. And I like to document whatever we do and I, I know that you can't document every little thing or you'd never go anywhere because some of us can be taken for granted, I suppose. But we have to be willing to document our meanings and our usages of phrases and things, uh, particularly in history and in the, in the book of Revelation, the, the historical aspect of that book. Uh, there has to be some documentation. Uh, and we call that Cychronius history. Cychronius history is the history outside the Bible that supports what the Bible teaches. And there's no other book in the world that is comparable to that with its availability to Cyclonius history. Not another Bible, not another book in the world. This is what I don't understand, uh, Brother Dave. Uh, 6, verse uh, 4. But we will give ourselves continually to prayer. Yeah. We will give ourselves, the apostles. Oh, that's the apostles? Yeah, the apostles. Okay. Yeah, that's, that's determined in verses 1 through 3. Uh, the apostles, we, we will give ourselves continually. Now, let me read this the way we assume it. We will give ourselves continually to closing our eyes, bowing the head, Holding our hands and talking nonsense. That's what the, 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 we, we assume that prayer somewhere says you're supposed to close your eyes. Where does it say that? Give me a book, chapter, and verse. Oh, uh, you can only find that in the Catholic. Oh, okay. Oh, really? Yeah. So, it, isn't that amazing? I didn't know that. Yeah. That's good to know. So, uh, Kaipo is saying that the only place you can find that, uh, closing your eyes in prayer. But the, the scriptures never talked about it because generally speaking, the word prayer has nothing to do with what you're saying to God. There are other words that do. But this word, I'm talking about this word. There are requests to God, asking God. And there's another word for prayer that's translated prayer. That's a totally different word, and it means communicating with God. But the word that we use most frequently in the English, is the word prayer, doesn't have anything to do with what we say to God. It has to do with our level of commitment to one another or to something else. And, and specifically, the word means, the word comes from two words, a, a preposition, which is pros, pros UK, and UK. The word UK is a, um, uh, means vow. The word vow. When Paul was in Sencrea and he made a vow, that word that translated vow is the word UK. That's the word that's found in every word for prayer. So, you know, you can't argue it. That's just grammatic. You can prove it, document it every time. It means to, to have a level, there's a level of commitment toward something, toward one another, toward the word. In this case, I believe it's a level of commitment that we're making toward the word because that's the rest of the sentence and to the ministry of the word. We are talking about how we can be committed to it. But when it's, if it is in God, if it's toward God, it is not asking God for anything. It cannot be used for that reason. Now, there's times to ask God for something. But this word means 
that you're telling God what he can expect out of you. That's why it's the word prosuke. It means you're making a commitment. If it's to God, you're making a commitment to God about what he can expect out of you. So don't ever tell, well, I'm asking God, I just want to be, I want you to be my Santa Claus for a little bit. Don't use the word prayer for that. It doesn't have anything to do with it. I'm just saying we need to become more conscious of our words because the long as we perpetuate the wrong use of words, we are perpetuating the wrong cause. Now, verse 6 says the same thing. Whom they set before the apostles, and that's, there's your antecedent, typo, in verse 6. Whom they set before the apostles, and when they had prayed, and again, prayed to whom? What's our assumption? That it's pray. Where does it say that? Why are we building a, an idea around a concept there's not a clue to that? Is there? I don't see it. They prayed, period. That means they, they were making levels of commitment. When uh, Jesus Christ was kneeling down, praying to the Father, uh, before they came to to uh, uh, pick him up, the Romans, he had told, I don't know if it was Peter or John, <clears throat> he came back and he had told the... <clears throat> I think it was Peter, to pray that pray that you may not be tempted. Oh, so what's the commitment? Don't be committed. I mean, don't be, don't be tempted. There's a commitment in there. See, Jesus used the word right. But we add our assumptions to that word and we get off base. Jesus was making his commitment to the Father to be loyal all the way through death. All the way through persecution. I am making my vow to be true all the way through. That's a prayer. And when, when Jonah was in the belly of the, of the big fish, remember Jonah? Yeah. Remember Jonah? Were you a friend of Jonah? Yeah, I like Jonah. I've never been his friend, but you know, I like, you know he's much older than I am. And I've never been in the belly of a big fish yet. There's never been a fish that big. But anyway, you know, if you look look at the book of Jonah, it's defining this word prayer. Because when from the when he said, God, here's here's my prayer. When I get out of here, here's what I'm going to do. So that makes it a prayer. Because what is he telling God? Here's what you can expect out of me. He's making a commitment, telling God. And so that's called a prayer in the book of Jonah that Jonah made toward God because Jonah was doing what? He was telling God what he could expect out of Jonah. Now that's getting down to the crux of the matter. Most people today never make a commitment to God and tell God what they can expect out of me. We just don't do that. And David, I, I can remember, you know, Kaipo, being a, you know, a young man, 10, 12 years old, reading that account that you just talked about, reading about Christ in the garden. He's, he's, he's agonizing over what's well, to come. Yes. And, right, he's sweating blood. It's, you know, the the... the Stress, the grief is so great. And then him telling Peter to pray that you're not tempted. Yeah. All right? So him telling Peter to pray. That, so in my mind, I assume Peter said, please, God, don't let me be tempted. But yet, he denied Christ. He Just denied. hours later, he denied Christ. And so I'm thinking, wait a minute. If he asked God, yeah. so I felt like I'd just been had, David, yeah. 12 years old. Wait a minute. If you ask God for something and it and you don't get it, that either means, A, there's something wrong with me, I don't get it, 
or B, he didn't hear me, or, or whatever. But whatever, it's wrong. Whatever was going on, there was a conflict then at that young age because if, we, if I decided that I wanted to go out with my friends after, after you know, church and throw rocks in an old car, which we did a lot, and break windows, and right, then we did it. We decided we were going to do that, and we did it. No disappointment there, Kaipo. No, there's no disappointment, David. We wanted to do it. We took action, and we did it, and then we were done. But yet, poor Peter, talking to the Father and all Creator, was let down. Because that isn't what the word means. No. That's not what no. the word means. And Kaipo, that's, we've been lied to. And that's why we're having, that's why we do this. I'm tired of being lied to, man. That's why we're having this discussion. All right, so. When, oh, oh, just a minute here. Type, when uh, the disciples asked Jesus about how to pray, you know, he gave him a large prayer. Yes. Yeah. He did. And then, let's, let's, uh, let's go to Matthew. Yeah, rabbit trail now. Oh, now we're on a rabbit trail. Matthew. <laughs> um, somebody help me now here. Oh, I have Matthew. Matthew. Uh, we want the Matthew account. That is uh, very interesting. I thought I could go right to it, but you know I'm not. I'm not getting my eye on it. Let's try your other eye. Well, I can't. It's not working well today. Everybody should know where the Lord's Prayer is. Uh, it's in. Uh... Well, I I can't get it. I'm going to have to come back to it. We'll get it there. I wondered the Matthew account. Well, that's where I was. Oh, okay. Well, you can use your new phone. I don't have it with me. It's out in the car, getting charged. I do. Yeah, I haven't learned how to use it yet. This isn't the Lord's Prayer as such. There we go. All right, let's go to 6-9. Let's go to the Greek first. Oh, my God. Okay, now you, you notice here we have, after this manner, therefore, make your commitments. Right. How, how is that phrase translated? What is that phrase? Right there. Well, how was how the last part of it, uh, David? Pros you, Kathy. The accent there is before the key. Got it. Now notice it's in the middle voice. So he's saying when 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 you're praying in behalf of yourself, that's middle voice. And also, see that the last four letters of that word. Epsilon, sigma, theta, epsilon. That means that it's a verb. We have been defining a what? A noun. We have been defining a noun. Now we have a whole different scene. Is because this is a verb. 
Is there a difference between a noun and a verb? Horse and ride? And running. Oh, and running. Is there any well, the horse can't keep up. <laughs> That's the only difference I can see. Okay, after this matter, therefore, now here is an action for you, and this action is toward whom? He's going to tell us that there is an application of it that's going to be toward God. But normally the word just means any kind of action where you are making a vow or a commitment to somebody. And that's why the Bible says keep your vows, keep your commitments. And also says keep your vows toward God. This is, this is the word for vow. See, it's right there, folks. It's right there. But it's a verb now, and we have been defining it in the sense when it was used as a noun. So after this manner, therefore, pray. So when you make your commitments, when you have your vows, when you're telling other people what they can expect out of you, here's how you do it, and here's how you do it when you do it toward God. Is that pretty simple? Now, you all, he's speaking, he's speaking to the disciples corporately. When you pray, you pray, Father, uh, here's where you are. You're in heaven. Your nomenclature needs to be kept sacred. What, what's the commitment there? That they're going to be involved in what, how they're addressing the Father. How, how I am addressing you demonstrates how I feel about your name and character. That's right. How, how I regard your name and character. Leave the feelings out. How I regard it. Okay, that's right. With as much respect as I can muster. Well, in some cases, that's very little. It's marginal. But, but in other cases, you know. But generally, we ought to approach people as human beings. And that means you're approaching somebody that's made in the image of God. That's what I don't like about politics. I don't want to get off on that, but... You know, regardless of where a person is and how wrong they are, they are still accountable human beings made in the image of God. And they need to be redeemed. All right. And a lot of folks in the church need to be redeemed as well. Hallowed be thy name. That, that's, how we're, that's how we're going it's how we're going to address him, as as Nolan has just said, his name, his character, the full disclosure of who he is. We're going to keep him in a reverend sense. It's our commitment of how we approach God. Thy kingdom come, and of course to us the kingdom has already come, because to them it had not. But the kingdom, all the kingdom that God has has come. It's all gone. It's here. But to them, it hadn't come yet. Because when did it come? Uh, well, well, finally. But it began in Acts chapter 2. See, you, you missed out on Acts chapter 2. But came when uh, the New Testament? When then the kingdom came, it was in Acts chapter 2. So what he's telling them here is that they, they, you know, you, you're committing yourselves to being true to God's plan, and that's to be in keeping with the coming of his kingdom, which it came to them, because he's speaking to the twelve who to whom it came in Acts chapter 2. Am I clear on that? Yeah. All right. And he's telling that only to the disciples as well. Yeah. Seek ye first the kingdom of God, and all these things will be added unto whom? Yeah. You. You, and who's the you? Uh, that's all of us, David, isn't it? That's all of us in the room. Oh, yeah. Yeah, so you don't have to buy any food. You can go to the grocery store. don't even have to go to the grocery store. It'll, it'll all be brought to you miraculously, right? That's what it meant there. Uh, i got another question. I think I've asked you about it before. Okay. Uh, seek the kingdom of God. A lot of us think, even myself, what, what kingdom? 
a kingdom of God, but how do you seek that? Well, first of all, and that's in Matthew 6.33. There, he's speaking to a particular group of people. No, no, you can't, you can't have it. There's no Gentiles in the Gospels. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. It's all written to who? Jews. So you've got to remember that. Well, Luke was written to the Gentiles. O Theophilus, Dr. Luke, uh, was writing for, in, in pertaining to the Gentiles. But remember that the people involved in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John were all under the law and all Jews. You've got to remember that. Because you can't go there to determine what book would you go to to tell somebody how to be saved? You'd have to go to Acts. Acts is the only book in the Bible that tells you what to do to be saved. So why would you go to John? Or why would you go to Matthew? They don't tell you. How could they? Because the kingdom hadn't begun yet. So if you were if you were put on the board up here, I'm going to, I'm going to do it graphically here, typo for you. Put uh, graphically up there. Put a big arch up there. We're not going to do it, but you can imagine a great big arch. The kingdom of God that began in Acts chapter two was during the days of the Roman Empire, as prophesied by Daniel in Daniel two forty four and Daniel chapter seven, that the kingdom would come in the days of the Roman Empire. That was in the days of the Roman Empire. Have we passed the days of the Roman Empire? Yes. Yeah, so it, it either Jesus lied or it has already happened. And he said to them in many places that you will not die until you have seen the kingdom of God come with power. Now, those people, that was 2,000 years ago. Are those people still living? No. no. Did Jesus lie? No. So the kingdom has come. Because he said it would come in the days in their lifetime. So when he tells the disciples in Matthew 6, to seek the kingdom of God, he's telling about those who were going to have a unique and special ministry for him. And they were the ones who were going to become whom? The apostles. And they were going to have all their care, all their clothes would not wear out. Have you ever had to buy a new set of clothes? Well, then you don't fit into that verse. Anybody ever had to buy a new pair of shoes? Anybody here ever had to buy a new set of shoestrings? Is there buying a new set of shoestrings? All right. Oh, Velcro. Oh, well, you ever get your Velcro wore out? Anyway, Jesus said you won't have to buy any more shoestrings. If you seek first the kingdom of God, you'll have all these things provided. He's not talking to you and me there. He's very clear as to who he's talking about. That's in the same chapter where we, where the Lord's Prayer was. But notice that all of these things in that prayer here as verb, verb actions, were all designing a commitment by those people who were making that prayer toward God. Then in verse 32 of chapter 6, the eye, this is Matthew 6, 22, going on, um, well, let's go back, uh, verse 21. Uh, because he's finished the prayer, he's still speaking to the same people, the same group. How do we know that? We have to go all the way back in chapter 5, beginning with verse 1, and the disciples came to him, and he's speaking to the disciples specifically in the midst of a multitude of other people, but he is directly speaking to them. You have to always know your antecedents. So Matthew 6 wouldn't have any relevance to us anyway, except for history, because it's in the Gospels, and we don't have anything until the New Covenant, which begins in Acts chapter 2. But, 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 but notice in verse 21, for where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. Isn't that true? So Dave, I'm sure all the Catholics that chant that prayer every Sunday know exactly what they're talking about. Oh, they haven't got a clue. They haven't got a clue. I, I knew you. Somehow I knew you was going to say that. Yeah. yeah they, 
Um, so, um, if you were a disciple getting ready to serve Jesus with your life and knowing that you're going to be martyred and or raptured, because only the disciples were raptured, and that was in 70 A.D., then uh, you would know how to look at that verse. And if you look at it through their eyes, then the meaning of it comes to life. Now we go on. Let's go to chapter 6 of Matthew, verse 31. Do not worry then saying, what shall we eat or what shall we drink or what shall we wear for clothing? Don't worry about your shoestrings. He says, the Gentiles. So who has he immediately accepted? Exempted, I mean, from his discussion here. The Gentiles. Because who is he speaking to? Why are you going to what he says to the Jew and make it applicable to you? Don't do that. Specific apostle or all of them? Well, no, he said it, it says, and he spoke to the disciples in the midst of the multitude, but he was speaking to them directly. That's in chapter 5. All right, now, uh, where, where was I? Oh, for the Gentiles eagerly seek all these things, for your heavenly Father knows that you need all these things, but you seek first his kingdom and his righteousness. And all these things will be added to you. You ever hear that on a sermon today? Oh, yeah. Go to TBN. They, oh, yeah, you hear. See, all these things will be added to you. Hogwash. Oh, sure. It's great to music. But you see what that does is give people a, a false sense that if it if what they do doesn't happen, they have to work a little harder and give a little more until they bleed to death. And that's what these churches are doing and these radio and television evangelists are doing. They're using verses like this that if it hasn't come through to you, then there's something wrong with you and you need to really get your act together. You know, that's politics too. And that's politics. It's the same thing. It's the same lie. (laughs) I too, Kaipo? Yeah. Well, welcome to the group. A preacher, a, a, a preacher, uh, um, he said he had, he had the Holy Spirit in him. And to the audience, I could feel the Holy Spirit. All of you that wants to lose weight, you're losing it right now. Well, that's yeah, that sounds sick. Well, guys, you know, we're way overdue. Uh, we didn't even get to today's lesson. Uh, did I throw you off, uh, uh, David? You did. Oh. Beautiful. What I great, love What a great study. <laughs> that that prayer, Matthew, you know, oh, that, yeah, yeah, what a what a great study that would be. Oh, that would be. Um, and all you, all you have to do there is realize who he's speaking to, and, of course, the, the multitudes were listening in. Yeah, uh, Matthew, uh, what was it, Matthew uh, 6 and verse 9. I think it gets more interesting when you read sections of it. What does that mean? I mean, uh, you know what it means, but it's, it gets very, very deep interested in, in, in uh, a lot of these. Well, remember that, though, whenever you're in the Gospels and you're reading, you've got to remember who the Gospels are directed to. And in general, the Gospels are directed to who? In general, the Jews. Don't forget it. That's how I feel about that, Alex. Don't forget it. And specifically, specifically then, who is he addressing in most of the gospel teachings? Specifically, in general, the multitude of the Jews 
because Jesus came to the house of Israel. He did not come to the Gentiles. He was forbidden in going to the Gentiles. He forbid the 70 to go to the Gentiles. Don't go there. We have no business there. We have no message for the Gentiles yet. So you always have to remember when you're in the Gospels who the general audience is, and who is it? The Jews. So who's the general audience in the Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John? The Jews. And the specific group out of those Jews to whom he is speaking, much of it is whom? The disciples which became the apostles. Folks, once you get that clear, a lot of it will clear up. And when you get into these difficult passages, remember, you've got to look at it from the standpoint of how they heard it as Jews. By the way, I turned, uh, I think we're done. Let's pray. Father, your word is so rich. It just has so much application to how we think and the attitudes that we hold in life. Our commitment to you is to keep focused in making the Bible come true in our life and its application to how we live and think. In Jesus' name, amen. Step into the world of power, loyalty, and luck. I'm going to make him an offer he can't refuse. With family, cannolis, and spins mean everything. Now, you want to get mixed up in the family business. Introducing The Godfather at ChompaCasino.com. Test your luck in the shadowy world of The Godfather slot. Someday, I will call upon you to do a service for me. Play The Godfather now at ChompaCasino.com. Welcome to the family. VGW Group. No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.